Welcome to Long Covid Physio Podcasts, the podcast for physiotherapists, support workers and other allied health professionals to share their stories of living with Long Covid. Hello and welcome to Long Covid Physio Podcast. My name is Darren Brown, I'm a physiotherapist and I am living with Long Covid and today we have our guest all the way from the United States, Colleen. Colleen, please introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Colleen O'Connor. I'm a physical therapist of about five years and now I live in Houston, Texas. Uh, well, welcome, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> it's very early in the morning for you, isn't it? And I know you're yes. taking the dog out, it sounds like. Yeah, he's right here. <laughs> oh, he's- hello. Look at that. Cozy, cozy. You know, yeah. <laughs> What's your dog's name? Chief. Oh, I didn't hear that. Sorry. What's your dog's name? Can you hear me? I didn't hear that. Oh, we're, we're, I think we're Heath. breaking up a little bit. Okay. Am I back? That's better. There we go. We've got you. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Colleen, I thought because I can't currently get my hair cut or my beard trimmed, I try my best to look smart for you today. So I've worn my Pelican shirt for you. So I'm trying to look... I love it. You. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have any pets in my life. I haven't got a beautiful dog sitting on my lap. So I am very envious. All I've got is a a, a print on my shirt. (laughs) It works. But Colleen, I was wondering if you would do us the honor of uh, sharing your story of living with long COVID. Sure. Um, When COVID kind of first came out, I, like a lot of people, didn't really think it was going to blow up to be what it was. Um, I work in pediatric home health as well as the hospital. So I had, you know, different exposures. I work in inpatient rehab, so there's not supposed to be any COVID on the floor. Um, But there were two instances where there was outbreaks and about four to five patients on the floor did end up having it. I was working in close contact, somehow didn't get it, and I wasn't wearing appropriate PPE. So I thought, I was lucky, um, must have missed me. Then I had another bout where I was feeling sick and I thought I had it, tested negative. Um, Then back in October, I started to feel like allergies and all of that, um, and I had a wedding to go to. So I made an appointment to get tested just to be sure. My um, rapid one came back negative. So I thought, okay, good to go. I'm gonna go to the wedding. I just probably have a sinus infection. Monday morning, I went, the doctor treated me for a sinus infection. That night I came home from work, my fever spiked. Um, My two day test came back positive. So now Mm. I, you know, could have exposed all these people at work and the wedding. And um, Mm. I was doing okay the first few days, just tired, a little bit of a headache, some sinus congestion. Um, And then the anxiety kind of set in. My heart rate was kind of going all over the place. I was checking with my pole socks, like, I don't know, a crazy person. Um, And I noticed that my heart rate kept going down and it was just weird. So that was ER stay number one. Um, They said it was probably just anxiety, sent me home. Two days later, woke up with like tremors, um, wouldn't stop, freezing cold, couldn't catch my breath, went back to the ER. They did more tests. Um, Again, said that everything looked clear, sent me home. Um, I was supposed to go home for Thanksgiving to New York. So they sent me for um, a Doppler just to see, you know, for flying purposes, because COVID is associated with 
blood clots. Yeah. Um, they thought they found a blood clot. So they immediately sent me back to the ER. Um, I was there for about 13 hours. They could not confirm that it was a blood clot at all. Um, they did every test under the sun, CT scans, all of that, mm -hmm. um, cleared me to fly. They ended up saying that it was okay, but the last three months have just been kind of up and down with anxiety, insomnia. Um, there were days I didn't sleep for, you know, three days. Oh um, so putting me back on the SSRIs and just kind of been battling with just long COVID symptoms of irregular heart rate, um, the insomnia, the anxiety, some nasal congestion, fatigue. Um, if I work a day, even if it's a half a day, I come home and pretty much just can't get off the couch for a couple hours. So it's been frustrating for sure. Yeah. So, so that, that there's so much there that sounds really familiar around Yes. <laughs> not recognizing what is and what isn't symptoms and mm -hmm. challenges with testing and seeking help, but no one really knowing what's going on because it's new and novel. And, sure. and so trying to navigate this and feeling alone quite a lot. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that feels really familiar with what, <laughs> what you shared there. How long has this been? Sorry, I've, I think I missed that. So how long have you been living with long COVID now? Just three months, um, but it's been pretty consistent. Um, and I was still testing positive for a while, which I know is common, but you know, that also leads to the isolation because a lot of people are fearful that if you're still testing positive, even though it's assured that you're not contagious, they don't want to be around you. Um, I missed Christmas because I actually had a re-exposure um, through somebody and I wasn't wearing a mask. And because I was still symptomatic and testing positive, they didn't know if they wanted to qualify it as a reinfection or not, um, since it was before that 90 day mark. But, you know, my family didn't want me traveling for Christmas if it was a possible reinfection that could be contagious. So um, there's just been that kind of like uncertainty, too, of what's really contagious and not. <laughs> That's really difficult to manage, isn't it? Because um like if we look at kind of the definition or the working definition uh, of, of long COVID, it's, it's ongoing symptoms after four weeks going up to 12 weeks. So three months where you are and then continuing beyond that. And, and you're, you're obviously within that time frame, aren't you, where you're still having consistent symptoms, but you mentioned that kind of 90 day thing, which is mm -hmm. uh, when you've been tested, uh, they do say to have, there's a window period, don't they, of 90 days where potentially yes. tests could become positive again. It, it doesn't mean that it's reinfected, it's just that, your body is demonstrating signs of the infection as such. I'll probably explain that terribly, but <laughs> but it sounds like that not only caused a lot of uncertainty for you, but also mm -hmm. it contributed to that sense of isolation because, yes. because of needing to isolate. <laughs> mm -hmm. And out of work again for a certain amount of time and um, it's just like several bouts of having to take that time away from work. And because I am PRN, I'm not necessarily compensated for my time. Um, so it's those weeks of just not getting paid and being by myself. And, you know, my family lives back in New York. So I was really like alone that whole time. Um, I do have great friends here that have offered to help and, and send stuff. But for the most part, my family just, you know, I was calling them at four o'clock in the morning because I couldn't fall asleep and just anxious and them not really, you know, them getting upset because they couldn't be here to help when I was in the ER. So it's just kind of all of that 
the isolation, the separation, um, and that support that I would normally have when I lived back in New York to not really having here. So it was definitely an adjustment. Yeah, massively and, and really challenging. And I suppose you, you mentioned there as well about yeah, the, 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 the issues that you faced with some of your symptoms. So mm. alongside the anxiety and the other symptoms, you mentioned fatigue where you'd like, not to put words in your mouth, but crash after work, yes. <laughs> struggle with that. And then also around employment. And that mm -hmm. must make it so difficult in terms of being able to uh, prioritize you and your health and your recovery when financially you've got to get back to work. So I'd imagine that's caused an awful yes. lot of uh, challenges for you. Mm -hmm. yeah. I kind of, cause when I listened to Ted and him saying that, you know, you just have to take the time. He's also, I went to um, PT school with Ted, so I know him personally. So oh, kind of listen. Well, hey. <laughs> no. um, so kind of hearing his story and, you know, I'm a workaholic too. I work sometimes six, seven days a week. So luckily for me, the hospital, even though I was PRN, all of my hospital stays were covered through them. I was put through kind of employee workers comp. Um, they did pay me for the days that I was scheduled to be there that had to cancel. So I was very grateful for that, but it was just my other jobs, unfortunately, aren't like that. So I just bought a house, so I really can't afford to be taking all this time off and and all of that. So I just try to schedule my days out a little bit differently now. Yeah, well, first of all, congratulations. Thank you. Home. What, what a huge milestone to achieve. Yes. Congratulations. I know, obviously, so you're based in the United States and I'm based yes. in the United Kingdom. We have different health infrastructures, health systems, and, mm -hmm. and also different um, uh, policies in terms of employment rights and everything else. And so I don't know that I'm necessarily that familiar with all of the circumstances of what goes on in the States. And I, I, I dare say the same vice versa. So it's really interesting to hear that that's a repeated story that we've heard from the, the physical therapists, uh, physiotherapists from the United States, where I think both yourself, Ted, and also Daria have mentioned the difficulties around um, remaining in work at, yeah. when needing to manage your symptoms and mm -hmm. prioritize your health, which you just really struggle to do and how much that contributes to the uncertainties and the anxieties that you may be going through. Mm -hmm. And a lot of my friends had COVID, you know, a lot of my coworkers had COVID and they were pretty much back to normal after that two week span. Um, you know, they haven't really been complaining about any other symptoms. So for me, it's kind of like, I'm the only one out of the group that I know that is still kind of going through all of this. So it's, they don't, they can't really relate and they don't really understand like where um, the anxiety does come from and like why I'm still getting symptoms and they're not. Um, and it's just, nobody can really explain why some people do get long COVID and some are back to normal and, you know, working out and doing everything that they did before. Um, so that's a little frustrating. <laughs> yeah. Like, can you tell us more about how that's made you feel in terms of being in your social circles, the only one really going through this? Um, I mean, I only have maybe like two friends in my social circle that had it. Um, I actually gave it to one of my friends, <laughs> so <laughs> kind of went through it at the same time, but she was, you know, as soon as that 10 day quarantine was lifted, she was back out. Like, even though she had symptoms, she was kind of just doing her normal. Whereas I kind of let it kind of take over and, um, you know, my fam, I was driving my family crazy because they would try to give me advice, but then I would kind of go against it or I was just, you know, constantly getting better and then regressing. And then 
kind of just going through that. So it was a lot for them to kind of take on as well. Um, so I kind of just felt alone at some point because I didn't want to burden other people with my symptoms. Um, and luckily with social isolation, there's not much going on anyway. So it's not like I'm missing out on that much, but um, yeah, it's definitely a little, a little upsetting and frustrating that other people don't have the same story. I'm glad they don't, but it's definitely a little uh, <laughs> different for me. Yeah, there's, there's, there's something almost kind of bittersweet, isn't there, about finding other people with shared experiences, which is you don't wish it on anybody because it is, it's horrendous, isn't it? But then when yeah. you do stumble across those people, you go, oh, thank God for that. I'm not alone. <laughs> and Oh, you feel that too? Amazing. Oh, not amazing. <laughs> yeah. I um, You mentioned there around um, being a, a really... Uh, motivated, active, your word, workaholic type of person. Mm. And I heard you say there about feeling better and regressing and the, the ups and downs. Mm -hmm. so could you share a little bit with that with us? Yeah, I mean, I wake up pretty much every day tired. I do think it's also from being on the SSRI. So being put back on that with COVID, now it's kind of hard to differentiate. Is it long COVID fatigue? Is it coming from the medicine? Is it from my routine? But I felt that getting back to work and kind of doing my daily routine has helped me because it kind of distracts me from everything. And when I'm working and running around the hospital and working with the kids at home, I feel pretty much okay. And then it's when I, as soon as I get home and then I kind of start to unwind that I really feel that fatigue and that those muscle soreness and everything like that. Um, besides work, I haven't really gotten back into working out because since my heart rate is fluctuating from the fifties to the one twenties, I'm, I've just been kind of fearful of kind of what would happen there. Um, and don't want to set myself back to, you know, getting more symptoms or, or kind of having that flare up again. So, um, yeah, I mean, it does help during the day when I do stay busy, but then it's like four o'clock that that crash comes and then I don't really feel up to doing much more for the rest of the day. Yeah. In case anyone listening that doesn't know what an SSRI is, would you share what that is? Sure. So it's a class of anxiety and depression medication. Um, I was on it for probably two years and then I was able to kind of wean myself off. And then once COVID hit, kind of set me into a spiral. And then um, I was followed by the uh, workers comp doctor. And she said that people that have never had anxiety before actually get anxiety as a symptom of COVID. Um, so they've been having to treat them with these, these anxiety medications. Um, it definitely helps. It kind of allows me, I don't go into those massive panic attacks that are really hard to manage. It kind of just subsides that. Um, so it's definitely helped for that. I know a couple of people on the group have asked about different ones and if they think it's recommended, I mean, it's definitely helped me. I, I couldn't manage my anxiety during COVID. Um, and then now I, I can manage it a little bit, but it obviously comes with side effects. Um, of fatigue and it causes the drowsiness and, you know, other different things. So it's kind of like, what you want to attack with, with intervening and what you really want to, you know, if you want those side effects or not for me, it's definitely helped, but. Yeah. Because I think that in the context of long COVID mental health is incredibly um, important to address, mm -hmm. isn't it? Because I know that some of the uh, narratives that maybe have been quite unhelpful is that when people have got symptoms that maybe aren't necessarily objectively identifiable on medical mm. scans or tests, there's there's a bit of 
stigma that comes with that, isn't there? And some people can kind of claim it might be in your head. And, and I think that when living with uh, other mental health conditions on top of having these symptoms, it can be really difficult to navigate that in the healthcare system, I would imagine, because yes. you've, you've not only got a condition that is uncertain and unpredictable and people can't really help you with, which creates its own challenges, but we're living in a world that feels like it's falling apart, so. <laughs> Absolutely. And, um, and I would imagine as well, like if we think about management strategies of mm. depression and anxiety, we know that physical activity and exercise <laughs> is a really good intervention that's evidence-based yes. and successful. But in long COVID, that's a different story. Uh, yeah. When you're living with what you described as cardiac symptoms and fatigue that is yeah. exacerbated by exertion. So under that title of post-exertion malaise, and we know that exercise is not recommended in those areas because it could set you back. So it must be really difficult, I would imagine, to be a physio <laughs> that normally promotes exercise. Of course. Um... Yeah, it's just one of those things. It's like people don't understand that after COVID, when you have some of these symptoms, it's, you know, kind of impacting everything, your work, your fitness, all of that. And it's kind of, I mean, it's hard to kind of explain, like, like you said, I would just go out and do a walk, but now a long walk kind of makes me out of breath going, I live on the third floor now. So going up the stairs, my heart rate gets up to like 120 and then it takes me a couple minutes to just kind of settle back down. So um, there's a lot of other associated things that come along that people aren't really familiar with, um, especially with having a mild case, you don't anticipate having these, you know, these effects down the months down the line. Um, I anticipated that it kind of just would level out and I would be back to normal, but um, that was not the case. <laughs> yeah. And that's what's so interesting around, uh, I, for me personally, the utilization of social media to share voices and stories mm -hmm. of what's going on, because we know that the majority of people that contract coronavirus probably have a mild case. Yes. <laughs> uh, and that's a very contested term, isn't it? Where basically you're not hospitalized. Uh, mm -hmm. But, and there are so many people that do just recover and don't seem to have any problems and I'm very envious exactly. of those people but then <laughs> there's like 10% of us that as an estimation that just have these lingering symptoms that just keep hanging about and knocking us about with <laughs> and making life difficult and when there's so many people that are not having the same experience as you mm. it can make it really difficult can't it and I wondered if you would share with us maybe some of the uncertainties that you've experienced Sure. I mean, I guess the frustrating thing is when I start to feel better and then I'm like, okay, I'm kind of over this hump. And then I have that setback. I kind of just get into that mindset. Like, am I ever going to get back to my normal self? Am I ever going to be able to work out? Am I going to be able to, you know, tolerate going out with friends after work? Can I, you know, fill my normal work day? Sometimes I'm, I'm working, you know, 10 hours and, you know, I, I start to get that afternoon crash. Am I going to really be able to fulfill everything that I need to do? Um, am I going to be able to travel safely and see my family? Um, I did just get the vaccine. So kind of, you know, is that really going to protect me and my loved ones until they can get it? Um, so kind of all of, all of that, like really, when am I going to get back to my normal routine and kind of feel like myself again um, is, is the biggest one for me. 
Yeah, and I, I completely feel that. I know that um, uncertainty, if, if we look at kind of research, uh, uncertainty mm-hmm. is, is classified as a, as a domain of disability within something called the episodic disability framework, which actually comes mm-hmm. from research in the field of, of HIV. Um, and we know that when living with a, a disease that affects you systemically in multiple parts of your body and can be episodic in its nature and ups and downs, sure. the uncertainties about that particular episodic nature mm-hmm. are really, really profound. And I know for me, one of those things is my personally, my mood spiraled uh, when mm-hmm. I was so physically impaired and so disabled uh, with my symptoms. And I was scared. I was mm-hmm. scared, would I get better? And, you know, I've shared this on the podcast with Ted, but, you know, I had an episode just over a week ago where my brain fog came back at work. And I was petrified and I like ugly cried on the phone to my boss <laughs> because I was so scared, so scared yeah. of the symptoms, not only coming back, but maybe what that means if they mm-hmm. coming back. So this episodic nature and uncertainty creates anxieties that are not because the anxiety is not driving our symptoms. Anxiety is part of our symptoms. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a consequence of the fact that we have so many symptoms. <laughs> and I guess listening to some people who obviously like I'm only three months out, but Ted was, you know, nine, 10 months out and he's still getting the flare ups. And it's kind of like, well, how long is mine going to last? Like when more research comes out, is there going to be more like permanent changes um, that we're going to have to deal with? Is the vaccine going to maybe subdue the, the long COVID symptoms or, or is it really not going to make a difference? So it's kind of like, you know, we're the guinea pigs and, and there's not any real information out there for long COVID because it's, it's only been around a year. So kind of waiting for those studies and, and everything else to come out so we can kind of get a better grasp on what the best interventions are because, Doctors don't really understand it either. So they don't have the best advice on really what to do. Um, so that's kind of, we're our own advocates and we're, we're trying to figure out what's the best home remedies for us and then giving other people advice. So it's kind of all of that, <laughs> who can really help, who understands what's, what's really going to come out in the future to, to help our whole population of long COVID. Yeah, completely. And I suppose whilst you were saying that, it was making me think that each of us living with now a potentially chronic health condition, Mm -hmm. there's a burden with that, isn't there, of having to self-identify knowledge and Mm -hmm. skills and seek out that information. Because if you don't do it, no one's really giving it to you. Like Mm -hmm. there's uh, there's no kind of obvious place to go. (laughs) And so I know for me, um, I think I've mentioned this in every podcast and it's purposeful in mentioning it, how much I've personally learned from other health conditions. Mm -hmm. So my clinical background is in HIV and cancer. And I have learned so much from people in those areas. And the big things was around episodic disability also Mm. acceptance and also optimism but then from another community is MECFS and the big things I've learned there is about pacing the Mm. presence of post-exertion malaise which I'll be really honest I didn't really understand before Um, and Mm. and now 
what rest is like wow how much we're having to learn but it puts a lot of burden on us doesn't it to to find that knowledge of course so where have you found information that's been useful for you um I mean I kind of stopped going down that (laughs) because um I'm just a very anxious person in general. So then when I'm reading different things and like what you can expect, like I sent myself into a panic attack getting the vaccine, anticipating any potential side effects by reading what those side effects could be. So sometimes I do try to stay away from that research because it kind of gets in my head and you kind of anticipate what you might experience. And then it kind of causes that, am I going to get that? Am I going to feel that type of um, panic almost? But I mean, the group has definitely helped. You guys have been posting, you know, meaningful um, articles and stuff. And then I just, I talk to other people at work that, you know, have gone through some of other stuff. And then I just kind of do general research on long COVID or, you know, testing protocols or um, post COVID things that are going on. Um, You know, I have a friend that works at the children's hospital and they're seeing an influx of, of kids that are coming in, you know, with, new acquired cardiac conditions after getting COVID and, and different things like that. So, um, yeah, I kind of try to stay away from that rabbit hole right now. So, so I don't, uh, anticipate all of that stuff, but. I, I, I really feel you. <laughs> I like, first of all, uh, thank you for referencing that this also affects children because I know that that sometimes isn't included in the narrative, particularly from the early days. Uh, but you know, we're a year down the line and learning a lot more. But to, to echo that point, I know like when I first uh, had coronavirus, uh, which was in March last year. So I'm now, what am I? nine ten months my god yeah, um, and yeah uh, I'm really not looking forward to the anniversary <laughs> but like uh, when I when I crashed in September like at my six month mark because I I was I didn't recognize that my symptoms were being exacerbated by exertion um I then discovered the word long COVID I discovered long mm-hmm. COVID support groups and I joined all of them and <laughs> Over time, I have to remove myself because exactly like you said, I felt overstimulated by information. And it wasn't that the information was then giving me new symptoms. It was more that I was just, I was just worried that I was then going to start to fixate on things and I didn't need that (laughs) (laughs) and become more anxious than I needed to be. So yeah, Mm -hmm. completely hear you on that, that there's something so important about peer support and about knowledge and skills and uh, being your own advocate, but there's like a threshold, isn't there? And sometimes you've got to look after yourself and know the limitations of it all. And I guess from like yours, cause like I'm only three months in, like how, how often do you get these like flare ups and setbacks and, and all of that being almost a year out? Oh my God. You're the first person to ask me a question. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you know what I, so in, when I crashed in September, mm-hmm. um, after that point, it took me four months to recover. And wow. during that four month period, I went from bed bound to working nearly full time again. And that period was full of ups and downs and full of the episodic uh, peaks and troughs of Mm -hmm. my functioning. 
because I was learning what my uh, limits were of mm-hmm. what would set me back in terms of exertion. But that was also a moving goalpost <laughs> where as time went on, I was slowly improving, but I didn't know how far I could push. So yeah. I kept either holding back too much or pushing too far when I got excited, I felt better. So it's been completely episodic all along. Okay. And now I feel like I've got it now. I feel like I know when I can feel my symptoms coming on. Like if I get brain fog, you gotta stop. Gotta mm-hmm. stop, can't do it. I know I've really pushed it if I get aches in my thighs. If I get this heavy, uh, hot pain in my thighs, I've really got post-exertion malaise and I need to lay down and lay down hard. (laughs) But I've not had that for a while. Um, But I think for me, it was learning what Mm -hmm. it is. And that was, I'll be honest, that was a really uncertain and anxiety inducing period because I didn't have a bloody clue what was going on with my body and no one could tell me. Yeah, it's, I mean, doctors don't really, really know. When I went to the ER for the blood clot, they did literally everything. So when I left there, I did feel a lot better because they had ruled out a lot of things that, you know, could, could have potentially come from that. So it kind of put my mind at ease that, you know, nothing serious was going on and that, you know, I just kind of had to ride it out. But like you guys and, you know, everybody on the podcasts, I, I do kind of go, go, go. So trying to kind of learn how to slow down. I mean, I do like to lay on the couch and and Netflix and all of that stuff, but it's been kind of like having to do that every day. And um, I was working out, you know, pretty regularly on top of working and um, with, with not working at the beginning of COVID, once I was able to work again, I was, you know, working six or seven days a week. And then I was like, can't go to work and then going back part-time. So it's, you know, it's been hard for me to kind of say, you do have to take a step back and, and, you know, get the help and then try to transition back in. But I do kind of have difficulty trying to balance pushing myself first. You know, I don't like to just kind of sit around and, and wait. So a couple of people have been that mental battle too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It really makes me think of something that I actually now can't remember. That's another issue that I can't remember. <laughs> but, um, I can't remember who told me, but it's it, that push or pace. And that is, that's it for me. I, I really struggle with learning when it's okay to push a little bit more and mm-hmm. to return to my usual levels of functioning. And when I've got a pace, um, mm-hmm. that, that's been challenging. Um, Colleen, I want to ask you one last question, if that's okay. Sure. If there's one thing, that you would like to share with people that are listening now, having gone through this journey yourself, Mm -hmm. what would it be? I guess that there are other people that are experiencing the same thing and you're not alone because like I said, I don't know anybody else that has long COVID within my immediate group um, or my family that's had it. So, you know, there is, there are people out there and there are different interventions. You just kind of have to figure out what works for you. Um, I mean, my anxiety's definitely gotten better, um, but there are those flare-ups and, and trying to really figure out what the triggers are. Um, but yeah, I mean, there are other people out there. It's definitely helped me to know that 
obviously, like I said, I don't want people to be going through the same thing, but knowing that there are, um, it's definitely helped and in, in getting information from that of, of better ways to handle it. Well, that is such a valuable, important message. So I want to say thank you for that. And I also want to thank you for sharing your story. This has been, I find all of these podcasts so therapeutic. Absolutely. And I've found this so therapeutic myself because of what you've shared in terms of the physical, the mental and the social health related challenges and how they are so intertwined um, and so important to address. So I want to say thank you so much for sharing. Oh, thank you today. for having me. So I'm going to end the recording now and I wish you a good day. Thank you. You too.